Hello, and welcome to the C21 podcast. My name's Jonathan Webdale. We hope you're safe and well wherever you may be. Today we hear from Andrew Sheldon, founder and creative director of Skybacked Indie True North, about the challenges facing the UK production sector. And Gerrit Kemming, managing director of Germany's Quintus Studios on the company's AVOD strategy. Andrew Sheldon is founder and creative director of UK factual-focused indie True North, a business that received investment from public broadcaster Channel 4, which later sold its stake in the firm to Sky. The Leeds-based maker of series including TLC's Yes to the Dress, Teen Mom for MTV and a string of property and travel programmes has been busy completing a number of shows during lockdown focused on UK regions. Sheldon spoke to Ruth Laws about these and the challenges facing the UK production sector, its public service broadcasters and what they're doing to appeal to audiences outside of London. I think I think production companies have got a couple of challenges, really. One is we're part of a kind of wider thing that's society, so we've got to kind of be mindful, I think, uh, you know, of absolutely abided by all the regulations and all the kind of uh, health and safety, uh, you know, advice that we get. And I think that's one thing. And then a second thing is I think just in human terms, there's a kind of psychological impact of the pandemic, which means that contributors just a slightly bit less certain, certainly some of them are, of, of, of taking part in television programmes. Because why would you expose yourself to a group of four or five people that you don't know and you don't know where they've been and so on. So I think there's a kind of, there's a sort of bit of a double whammy for people making shows at the moment that there's, there's the regulatory and compliance kind of part of, of, of working within the government's advice, which is obviously absolutely essential. But there's also the sort of just a simple human response of whether someone wants to expose themselves to, to, to the process, I suppose, at the moment. You know, I think I think as the months have gone by, people are better. You know, I think we were fortunate to get a kind of good window um, last summer where, where things eased a little bit. And I think a lot of stuff got shot and a lot of stuff, a lot of lessons were learned in that period. Period, I think you know. Unfortunately, I think at the moment for production, the production community generally, there's a, there's definitely a lull. Um, you know, I think we've got a couple of months where a lot of companies will be challenged financially. You know, but I think that you know what, what the hope is obviously is that come April and May we'll be back up and running and we can get into production again. And of course, that will mean that by summer there'll be not an editor available anywhere in the land. But there we are. So, is is it particularly challenging at the moment whilst we're in this third lockdown? For me, the, the thing would be this: that uh, you know, most indies work on a some of the smaller indies they work on a a relatively short cycle of production, you know, that they work, they're working at most months and sometimes just a few weeks ahead, you know, in terms of developing and producing ideas and getting them commissioned and so on. And I think that, you know, that, that, that means that their financial resources are not always going to be huge. And I suspect that the first lockdown, I think, probably left quite a lot of Indies without any great financial reserve to sit back on because they've spent those. So I think when it's come around a second time, um, you know, I think that, that that's probably, there's rarely going to be slack in the system for an Indie, but there's even less slack this time around than the first time, if you see what I mean. And I think one of the things we should really remember as well about that is that if that applies to the production companies, it absolutely applies to the individuals who work for production companies, that the freelance community, you know, whereas I think most freelancers expect that at some point they may have a week or two without some work between contracts and so on. But that money kind of went last year. And I think they've arrived this spring uh, with, with far less to, to, to rest on. And, and that will mean that those people that haven't got other sources of money to live off, um, you know, are going to struggle to stay in the industry, I suspect. And I think, I think that's a really important thing for the broadcasters to remember 
at the moment that you know that everybody's feeling pain and, and really the, the, the kind of production community is, is a three-legged stool which is the broadcasters the indies and the freelance community that make the shows if you kick one leg away it all falls over and i think that's a really big deal at the moment that people remember that because i think i think there's a pressure downwards from broadcasters financially on on, on production companies that pr- pressure in turn gets passed down onto the freelance market and you know it will have a bad effect what do you think can be done to you know perhaps provide some cushion for freelancers or for the industry i think it's really difficult because i think i think you know if you, in in the real world certainly the commercial broadcasters they've, they've got a set of challenges and problems themselves that they've all got in their own ways absolutely kind of potentially kind of real strategic challenges that they've got to kind of meet i think they had some of them had in any case regardless of the pandemic so this has only kind of accelerated that process i think but i think it's awareness more than anything else one of the really hard things for us was that you know, we're part of sky studios now and you know, when the pandemic first started and we had a kind of zoom with them and they said what do you think what, what we're going to lose what we're not going to lose and you know we were sort of thinking well as our parent company they might be saying what's going to happen to the bottom line this year but they didn't they said straight away you have a social responsibility towards the people that work for you and that was really heartening for us because it meant that that gives us top cover then to try and in the best way possible you know support as many people as we possibly can which is something we, we, we've done really we've done quite successfully by moving things around and doing reversions of shows and all sorts taking on work that probably we wouldn't in a normal kind of commercial environment do but we've done it quite often because it keeps people in a role it keeps people in a job and I think that's that's been a really good thing to do you know I think I think production companies and the broadcasters should have got a responsibility towards kind of wider the freelance community particularly you know I think I think say the, the unfortunate thing is is you know we're, we're concerned rightly with with kind of diversity and so on at the moment but what's happening is really exposing people's backgrounds and sorts of things people who've got you know maybe they're from a middle class background and can afford to stay in the industry because they can get some support from their mum and dad that's fantastic but equally there are a lot of people who, who are not from that background who won't be able to, to do that and at that point you know it, it, it's not a matter of whether you want to stay in the industry it's a matter of that you you can we'll see my, my, my sense at the moment is that while production's pretty dry at the moment is that is that the broadcasters I think are looking and thinking they've got schedules to fill later this year and so on I think they're still wrestling with the impact of, of the first wave on, on the schedules I think there's, there are shows being delivered they didn't expect there are other shows that are not getting made again there's kind of you know it's a bit of a mix and match you know as a company we, we make quite a lot of shows abroad we've got New Life in the Sun uh, shows like that. that that's been challenging we, you know we make Say Yes to the Dress for Discovery uh, again if, if the wedding industry is closed in, in different periods and that, that's challenging so you know, it's, it's not been easy we're fortunate in the sense that we, we make quite a lot of shows outdoors I think that's been really helpful so our shows like Devon and Cornwall and Dales and Lakes and the Darcy Show you know that, that they're kind of all shows that, that we've been able to make and make look good and make look as though they're pandemic free I think that's been really important you know it's um, you know, the production the production process has been you know we've been, we've been looking at the clearly been looking at the regulations around the pandemic and making sure that you know we, we, we stay the right side of the line with those but the actual shows themselves are, are, they look like you know regular TV shows and what are your plans and priorities for the year ahead I mean I think I think that we still every, every company has a kind of strategic plan I think to some degree you sort of imagine well, where can we get to this year what can we do I think if we're being honest about it you know I think staying on an even keel has been the most important thing for most companies in the last six to twelve months I think you know if you can arrive in April May in good condition on your feet with some work in front of you then I think that's a success in itself in some respects you know I, I really think that we'll, we'll start to pick up speed sort of optimistic that I think there'll be quite a lot of commissioning later in the year I think that there will be the, the dust will settle at the moment I think there's a kind of you can feel the specific types of programming that are doing well it's a slightly weird thing that if you look at what's being commissioned quite a lot of it is being commissioned is sort of great British stuff 
enough. So there's a lot of, a lot of British countryside being made at the one end, which is, I think, is sort of satisfying people's sort of escapist instincts when they really don't want to be bothered by Trump and Brexit and pandemics and so on. I think that's a really important thing. And the other thing I think is, is, is interesting as a trend is that true crime has really taken off in a big way, which seems quite, it's quite strange, actually. Those, um, so I think, I think there's I, one of the things I think that's happened with the pandemic is that the television industry is in a state of permanent change. So in a way, we should, there's nothing more certain than changing just around the corner of the TV industry. And I think we were in a period of quite significant change with sort of traditional terrestrial broadcasters all facing a set of challenges with the arrival of the kind of streamers and so on. And I think I think that was happening anyway. As, as, and I think the pandemic, in a way, has sort of accelerated some of those challenges for them. You know, you look at Channel 4, the need for Channel 4 to get onto all four has become more apparent than perhaps it would. You know, something that maybe would have happened over three years is now rushed to kind of do it much more quickly and so on. And, you know, I think I think there are things happening across all the broadcasters like that that mean that, you know, say changes has accelerated. I think it's ch- the changes that a lot of the changes that will be apparent afterwards w- would have happened in any case. But I think that, you know, it's uh, this has really kind of like shaken the bush sort of thing and a lot of things have dropped out. In terms of Channel 4, they've obviously moved up north. I wondered if that's working. It, it absolutely is working. W- one of the difficulties, I think, is people take a really short-term view of, of something like that. It's, it's, it's not a moment where Channel 4 moved to Leeds. It's a 10, 15, 20-year kind of process to really establish that. Now, unfortunately, the pandemic means that they've not been able to move into their kind of new headquarters yet. And I think, you know, that will be quite a kind of big moment because I think actually it will mean they've got a, a literal physical presence here uh, in a way that they haven't had in the last kind of 18 months, two years since they kind of made the announcement. I think that the movement of, of the commissioners has worked and I think their restructure last week is is, is kind of, again, is playing to that. You know, we, we make quite a lot of hours for more for, for, the, for the main channel for features. We make quite a lot of hours for daytime. Uh, for the first time, all those hours will be not only been made by a company out of London but being commissioned out of London and that's a really big deal it's just important for people here to feel that you know they're part of the process that they're not just kind of being you know directed from 200 miles away in London um, and you obviously have been a big and a vocal supporter of regions and nations before and obviously places like Channel 4 as we've just discussed have opened up in Leeds and other places are moving out of London do you have a new mission now? No I mean I think I think I always saw it as, 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 as a kind of bit of a continuum really I think that you know I've been around sufficiently long time that you know I, I can kind of remember the impact that, that, that Yorkshire Television and Granada Television and even Tiny Tees up in Newcastle had had on the broadcast landscape. And it meant that you had television programmes that properly reflected different communities across the UK. And I think the Channel 4 thing is a huge step towards moving back towards that. And I think that what's happened, and I can kind of feel this, is that and the BBC has I've always sort of, there's always been a slight sense that the BBC kind of look at Salford in a very BBC-like way and go, right, that's it, we've done that. That's a really great building with 2000. And that's a world-class facility across at Salford. But the, the kind of ripples from that haven't really kind of been felt that far outside of that particular <laughs> location. You know, it's not been a it's not been transformative in that sense. You can feel that the Channel Four move is having a very different effect because it's smaller Indies are actually engaging with them that would never ever have got off the kind of tram at Salford. It, it's having quite a profound effect, and I think I think you know the BBC. You know, you can look at what they're doing at the moment. They're doing a, a tender for a, a series for BBC Two. You know, they've got their kind of the, the, the departments actually serving kind of audiences in England as well as the nations and I think all these things are kind of good and I think they're kind of part of the kind of democratisation of the process in a way um, you know and I think it means that the communities that previously didn't you know see themselves on, on, on TV and share in the uh, you know the kind of economic value of having those programmes made uh, will be able to do so going forward so I think that's really you know it's, I feel very positive and optimistic about it I mean in a funny way the Channel 4 thing is fascinating because you know I know that there's kind of a lot of conversation around them being sort of privatised again 
again, you know, it's all in the air once more. And, and you know, in a way, you need to look at Channel 4 and say, if, if they weren't doing the things that they're doing in PSB terms, I'm not sure which of the broadcasters would be, you know. And I think I think that's possibly their greatest hedge against being privatised. Assuming that they don't want to be privatised, I think the greatest hedge is to sort of, is almost to double down on what they're doing because I think they're doing a terrific job of, of rolling out across the whole of the UK. Why do you think they're doing it better than the BBC? I think the BBC is, is essentially, it's it's the nation's broadcaster. It's, it's a London-centric organisation and I don't think that that will change anytime soon. You know, it's the voice of the nation, isn't it? And, and, and you know, I think that it hasn't got the, the bandwidth really to cope with all these different voices, whereas Channel 4 has made uh, its, its history as one of giving voice to people and, and uh, who may be more on the margins. And I think that, that this is just, this is an extension of that in some ways of that idea. The greatest thing that Channel 4 could do would be to sell Horsfree Road and move that whole thing to Leeds. What a terrific statement that would be if you if you did end up with, you know, a national broadcaster based in the north of England would be a terrific thing. You know, it would, it would give a, a really strong message. Yeah. That kind of links to my next question, which is what do you think still needs to be changed in terms of regions and nations? I mean, that is a really good question. I think one of the things about the PSB thing is needs a really sort of rigorous debate, really, about what what is it? What is it that we want and how do we want to fund that? Because I think at the moment, the two, two ends of things where you've got the kind of streamers who are essentially they're global organisations with the weight goes with those things. We're kind of looking at our kind of UK terrestrial broadcasters and we're sort of tying their, you know, one hand behind their backs by saying to them, you know, you can operate, but you've got to do this, this and this. And we've got to find a better system, basically. I don't know what that is, but I think there is, you know, at the moment, I think it's creaking quite a lot. You know, if you think of, of current affairs as, as it was 20 years ago and you look at what passes for current affairs now, there are quite a lot of films that were very important and significant that 20 years ago that wouldn't get commissioned now because they wouldn't have, the, the, you know, they, they wouldn't be a return on investment. That's, I'm not sure ultimately that's, that's you know, where we should be. Um, you know, we've got a, such an extraordinary tradition of having brilliant public service broadcasting. And I think we need to kind of find a way of retaining that, even though we're living in a world where commercial broadcasting is kind of so much on the ascendancy. And do you think perhaps that the pandemic, because lots of people are, you know, this is anecdotal, but moving out of London because they want more space, do you think that that would actually encourage more production companies to set up elsewhere? It's really fascinating what's happened with, with Zoom. That's really sort of democratised the industry in lots of ways, because a lot of the complaints that regional companies had, particularly, I think, you know, going running up to the pandemic, um, you know, we're always about, you know, you have to set off down to London with your rucksack and you kind of got your 10 ideas on your clipboard and you're kind of going in there and you go into the room to say, what have you got? And they go, duh, 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 and you whip down your ideas and then you leave the room and you don't see them again for another month or something. I mean, I think that that kind of process, uh, which is one of the great things, I think, that inhibited the growth of indies outside of London has, has, has sort of evaporated because of the Zoom thing. I think there's a much easier kind of flow of information now between indies outside of London and the London commissioners, many of whom obviously aren't actually living in London at the moment, they're living in other parts of the UK, but you still, you've got a much more regular contact. And I think it's, it's made the kind of the idea that, you know, you need to jump on a train, you know, from Newcastle or Leeds or Manchester or get on a plane from Glasgow to go to London once a month. It's made it feel very dated, I think, really outdated. And you're looking back and think, when you think that a lot of Indies would go to London for three meetings of maybe 40 minutes or something, and then go all the way back home again for two, 300 miles, that's madness when you look at it. And I think that, that we've moved forward in quite an extraordinary way in that sense. I think the other thing that's really fascinating is that the talent pool has kind of opened up quite a lot. So, you know, I don't know, something like remote editing, in a way using editors at the moment that live in different parts of the UK because we're editing remotely in a way that we would never have done historically because they wouldn't have been able to sit in a small room in Leeds next to somebody else. And that's a really interesting development, I think, because it's it's going to, you know, it, it, it's meant that we can employ people, you know, in, in all corners of the UK. Um, and do you think the Zoom trend will stay even when restrictions are eased? Or do you think, no, I, think I, we'll I, go back to business as usual? 
sure. No, I, I, I don't think Zoom's, I don't think Zoom's going away. I mean, I think, I think that, that it'll be a long time before. You know, we've, we've got a, an office with a kind of post-production department. It's got you know, 28, 30 edits, and which you know we're very proud of. But I can't imagine the next time that we're going to have those full all the time. Because I, I think that, I think that you're going to be in a position where you might, you know, people will work at home two or three days a week. They'll work in the office a couple of days a week with their producer, and then they'll go home and cut something else. And then I just, I just don't imagine that culturally we're going to get back to a place anytime soon where we're saying to people, please can you start at 9.30? Please can you be there till 5.36? You know, it's, it's, I don't think that's going to happen. I think it's a great shame because I think the creative process, it's changed the creative process in lots of ways. I think that there's, you know, huge merit still in, in sitting in an edit suite with an editor and working together to kind of create something is a, is a fantastic, you know, kind of experience. And, and I hope that doesn't get lost completely. I'm sure it won't. And on the more kind of premium shows, I think that won't happen. But I think that there is, if you look at what's happening with money, I think that the the, broad, the, the sort of UK broadcasters are sort of pushing money upwards, uh, you know, towards projects to try and compete with Netflix and with Apple and, and, and Disney and so on. And I think that the net effect of that is the shows at the bottom end of the project is downward pressure on those because they need to recover that money from somewhere. And I think those shows will end up staying remotely. The stuff that's produced in kind of, you know, at high volume but slightly lower cost will be it will be slightly more factory-like, I think, in future, the way that we approach them. That higher-end premium stuff, I think, will retain, perhaps in some respects, have greater resources than it's had before, you know. Yeah, do you think there might be like an increase in archive shows that people can just do remotely? Quite well, I think if you look at some of the stuff that's on TV, there's been some absolutely um, really clever kind of reversioning and recutting of existing material to make new shows. I think it's been necessity being another invention, but I think they've, they've done a fantastic kind of job of doing some of those shows. And, you know, I think, yeah, we move into, there'll be new new methods of production, I think, coming forward. I mean, you know, I think you can see that, you know, going forward, I, I think that there'll be shows will appear where you'll have perhaps a kind of HQ and you'll move you move the contributors through a space, film them and move them on and bring some more and move them on. We'll be looking for much more efficient ways to make television programmes. I think the budgets uh, for shows at the bottom end, even in kind of sort of seven, eight o'clock shows, um, is going to be under pressure, I think, for the foreseeable future, really. We're talking about Britain here because I, I don't see at the moment that there's going to be a rush to kind of do stuff internationally in the you know in the next 12, 18 months. I think it's going to be challenging to do that wherever you go. So I think, I think for the next sort of 12, 18 months, we're talking about shows made in the UK, really. And I think it's probably, you know, what's happened is that, you know, we've got into a generation of cameras that are really terrific. We've really kind of, we can do really quite cinematic things now. Um, we've got drones, which we didn't have before. We've got body cameras, which we didn't have. Using those tools, we can make a really terrific looking show about a location or a space. I think what's going to happen if we're not careful is, is that there'll be a slight overkill of that. And I think, you know, what we need to do is sort of say, well, what's the next thing we can do with them? It's not enough just to go to a location and film it, which is what quite a lot of these shows are doing at the moment. I think it's it's like, well, why are we going there and what we're doing there who's the person who's going to take us through it who's going to own it is going to be a next question I think you know I think I think having a sense of purpose to these shows is really important otherwise you won't be able to differentiate one from the other Andrew Sheldon from True North speaking with Ruth Laws Germany's Quintus Studios started 2021 with a deal with France TV distribution for factual content and has since put the programming straight on its YouTube channels, free documentary and FD Reel. The company's been busy acquiring content in the UK and Benelux over the past few years to promote its own channels not only on YouTube but other AVOD platforms like Roku as well. Quintus founder and MD Gerrit Kemming spoke to Ollie Hammett about the strategy and how it's evolving. 
we're uh, owning and operating uh, various platform agnostic channels on third-party platforms such as YouTube, Roku, and so on. YouTube is our, our main and, and biggest chunk in the in the channel business so far. We are currently expanding this to uh, to different platforms. And and actually, France Television is not the only one. We are meanwhile we are actually having done deals with all the big players, like with the Blue Ends and ZDF Enterprises and uh, Beyonds and Cineflixes and you know all of these players. So yes, we're buying content just as every linear channel does. We're buying content for exporting the content on our channel. And I'm also interested in your uh, strategy of going on sort of YouTube channels and other platforms as opposed to other maybe maybe subscription-based platforms. What's behind Quintus's decision to go down channel management? Good question, actually. So, I mean, we uh, we started as being a usual distribution company, right? So 10 years ago. And then we entered the, the pre-sale business. So we helped production companies financing their production by bringing on board pre-sale partners. And then like probably like five, six years ago, we started to actually upload titles in those territories where we didn't have any any linear idea. We just started to upload them on YouTube. Very basic uh, and very, just very side business-like. And then about like three years ago, we realized, oh, hold on, there there is some money to be made, obviously. And we started to put a bigger focus on it um, and started to employ algorithm experts and channel managers and that kind of thing. And realized, oh, there's even more uh, money to be made or that there is money in the game. So we started to realize that this could be an option for us, not only to make a, like a little side money business, but also to make a, like a, another big focus of our whole business strategy. So, and meanwhile, our, our own channel, that the next step will be to bring both businesses together. So we have the distribution business, we have the production, we have production partners to, um, to finance their stuff. And now we start to think about how we can produce for our channels, having in mind that we can tell the ready-made program later on into television. So changing the wheel from, yes, we produce or produce with third-party production partners for the linear world. And then um, as a second or third or fourth window, we will exploit an our channel, we will now start to think about how to produce for our channel, having in mind, you know, what channels, linear channels are out there, especially in territories where our own channel business is not that strong, and who we can find as partners later on in the in the project. That's fascinating. So your channel management started off just kind of trailing shows that you were looking for deals for, so to sort of showcase them to other buyers. Yeah, mm. correct. Yeah. I mean, whereas at the moment, we, we've just licensed uh, stuff and still, you know, produced with our partners for the linear world and then later on took these productions when they were finished in those territories again where they were not licensed to any linear player on our uh, on our channels. I mean, it's, you know, the whole market is changing and so it's getting more and more difficult to actually finance uh, new productions in the old way where you just find three or four pre-sale partners and with that money you start the production and then get more partners on board. This is just getting more and more difficult because the channels, they uh, have smaller budgets, their decision periods take longer and in this in this atmosphere in this in this market we realize and meanwhile that our own channels or the top performers in our channels make like significant revenues which we can actually rely on when we plan for new projects so that means that we might not need as many preset partners as we need before we can also uh, concentrate on what's working on our channel produce that maybe get within the production process get one linear partner on board and and can be sure that we make a profit from the sales later on in the in the linear and digital world. We try to about 
six years ago. We um, we as Quintus built up our own SVOD kind of platform. That was probably at the beginning when when uh, Curiosity Stream started. So we back then also had the idea of you know making this documentary kind of Netflix. But um, we we didn't succeed in that back then, probably due to two reasons. The one reason was that it wasn't our core competence to technically develop a platform that is you know running worldwide very smoothly. And then we were too small marketing-wise because if you want to launch your own like little Netflix, you need to probably have millions and millions and millions of euros to push it. And then I realized that the content that we had and concentrated on was probably not content where the users or viewers uh, wanted to pay for, but when they just come across it because they are on YouTube, for example, and just come across the content that we offer, they really like to watch it. So we we stopped uh, the project back then, which was called TV I Like. That was the platform called. We stopped that one uh, and started to build up brands on existing uh, platforms because the, the viewers were already there. And we just needed to make sure that the algorithm you know, works in our favor and uh, and brings the, the content across the people that are interested in it. Uh, and that worked very well, actually. I mean, at the be- beginning, it was, a, it was a small, as I said, side business. But concentrating on it, and meanwhile, we have over 2 million subscribers to our biggest channel. Uh, this is like substantial. And yeah, that, that is a great fun and great change to the television world where the atmosphere is always like, oh, our budget is going down. We, we can't really decide now because we got bought whatever. And in the digital world, it's growing and growing. Sure, yeah. And I guess it gives you more autonomy, I guess, over your yeah. content. Yeah. So do you know of any other companies that are starting to make this move? I don't know a lot of companies that actually do the move from linear to, to digital as we did it. I mean, there's two companies that we always like kind of feel aligned to or competitors, whatever you, however you want to see it. The one is Little Dot Studios, who's doing kind of the similar thing in terms of like the proper channel business on YouTube and Facebook. And then there is Barcroft Studios, which is more in the in the production area and they produce for those platforms. So they don't really uh, license the stuff as Little Dot is or we are we are doing it. But uh, we're starting actually to produce into our, our existing channels as well. And also uh, starting to grow on other platforms where we can really use the long form content but where we need to find a way how we bring those topics that we have in long form on YouTube in shorter form on those uh, those other platforms. So it's, it's a bit difficult but as I said so Backup Studios they were doing short clips on you know Snapchat, Facebook, whatever producing it for them and in the second window they sometimes grew their series that they produce on Facebook and Snapchat into television and that's actually what we are also doing. So we have television program on YouTube, the same topic in another version on Facebook. That's that's licensed content. We now start to produce this kind of content, at least the short form, for the other platforms and hopefully are able to grow this again back into television. What are the main streaming platforms that you're looking to work with? Well, as I said, so our biggest thing is YouTube at the moment. Facebook Watch is, is uh, something that we are starting on right now. IGTV is something that we're starting on right now. And then uh, TikTok and Snapchat will, will probably also be coming thereafter but the content that we're working on is just not the very natural TikTok content so we, we definitely need to make two three steps to bring our topics that we focus on and that we really know about into those platforms and what are some of the projects that Quintus has um, coming up in 2021 I think our biggest aim for this year is actually to realize projects that we produce for our own channel so which is a digital channel as I said but which are then sellable into the television world as 
well, into the linear world as well. So that's that's our biggest challenge and that's our biggest task for this year because that way we would not only have another pipeline for our own channels where we can create content where we know it will work on our channels, but we would also have a pipeline for our um, sales catalog in the distribution business. What are some shows that Quintus is the mirroring? So we are purely factual, right? So no fiction at all. Usually our core DNA is a very male-skewed engineering science, also access-driven like, you know, prisons and tough areas in the world. That's the second column. And then we have this social, cultural, uh, the most dangerous ways to school, planet school, those kind of topics. These are the three columns that we usually have in our like very linear sales catalog. But the, the interesting thing is that we realize that those topics also work very well on our channels digitally. And then digitally, when it comes to like we buy content, we've launched a nature channel, we've launched a business channel, we've launched a paranormal channel and so on and so on. But this is not something where we will, will go into production very soon or which we, we which we can align to our sales business. When it comes to sales business and digital and the combination of those two, it's going to be the three columns that I was mentioning at the beginning. Garrett Kemming from Quintus Studios. That's all for this episode. There'll be more from the podcast next week. But in the meantime, stay safe and up to date with all the latest international TV industry news by following C21 online, on mobile and social media. My name's Jonathan Webdale. Thanks for listening. 